of Christian Unity Week, the churches in Winchester engage in something we call a pulpit swap. Now, last year, I had the privilege of going there's, to... There's a problem here. Hey? There's a problem here. Why is that? I thought I'd come to a pulpit swap, but yeah. you have no pulpit. Well, this is the best we've got, <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> Maybe we should call it a speaker swap. Anyway, um, as I said before, Jonathan leads St. Matthews and St. Paul's. It's a, a wonderful community, very welcoming, been there a long time. You guys haven't been here that long, maybe 18 About months. 18 months. Amazing, brilliant. Um, and I had the opportunity to go and speak there um, on this Sunday last year, actually, which was fantastic. So Jonathan um, and Hilary, thanks for coming as well. You are welcome here. We're delighted for what you've got to bring. Can we just pray for you as, we, uh, Please do. as, as, you, uh, as you share? So um, Holy Spirit, come and we just welcome you, Jonathan. We thank you for the ministry that you've brought to Winchester for your ministry in St. Matthew's and St. Paul's and in the wider city. We bless you in that. And we just open our hearts to receive all that you've got for us this morning as we continue with this series on Come Follow Me. Lord, um, be with Jonathan, anoint his words, and may they be challenging and encouraging to us as we open our hearts to hear. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Nigel. Thank you, everybody, for your very warm welcome, both for Hilary and myself. Uh, it's great to be here for the first time at the vineyard. Uh, the problem of being a church leader is that one has to be in one's own church each week. And uh, so one doesn't get to experience the, the great diversity that there is. And so it's wonderful to be here. Hilary especially has been looking forward to some of the worship and the style of worship that we have here, uh, which is quite different from St. Paul's and even more different from St. Matthew's, where we use the 1662. That's the year it was written in, by the way. Uh, 1662 service book. It's great to be with you. Uh, you're going to have some a fantastic exposition of Mark. Uh, Mark's the shortest gospel. doesn't take too long to read if you are used to getting your scripture in bite-sized pieces, which I'm sure we are. We've just got a few verses this morning, haven't we? Um, then have a go at reading a great chunk of scripture. Have a go, for example, at reading Mark, either silently reading it or perhaps even out loud. It'll take you a little bit longer out loud, but can anybody guess how long it might take to read the Gospel of Mark, perhaps not out loud? Shout out, somebody. 40 minutes. A little bit longer than that, 40 minutes. And if, if you're a speed reader, perhaps. Hour and a half? Probably about an hour and a half. Hour, hour and a half? Won't take you very long. I'm sure that you'll watch more television one of the evenings this week. Why don't you read the Gospel of Mark instead? Just an idea. We turn now, though, to the Gospel of Matthew, and those of you who've got your phones or your Bibles in front of you may like to turn to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and can you remind me the chapter it's in? It's, is it chapter 13? Because I've got the verse numbers, but not the chapter numbers here. The calling of Matthew. Is it chapter 9? I know, I know, this is a thing. Can you find it quickly? Nine, that's right, great. So chapter nine, verse nine, the calling of Matthew. Great. So let me read these words from the Gospel of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them. And Matthew got up and followed him. 
While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's a short passage, and I understand that you're studying the call of Matthew. So let's see what we might discover in this passage. When Nigel introduced me, he told, told you that I'm the rector of St. Matthew with St. Paul, two churches here in Winchester, and we've got a strapline. The strapline is pilgrims on a journey. I don't know where you are in your journeys of faith or journeys of life. Perhaps you're nearer the end, perhaps nearer the beginning. But whatever stage of the journey you're on, the journey, in the words of that old proverb, starts with a first step. And our reading describes Matthew's first steps of faith as he responds to Jesus' call, come. Follow me. It's cold outside, but in the Middle East in the summer, it would have been hot. Imagine yourselves sat in the heat in a dusty toll booth collecting taxes. The booth was on the border of the between the Tetrarchy of Herod Philip and the territory of Herod Antipas, two different regions with two different governors. And Matthew collected the custom duties from the merchants that travelled from one to the other to make their living. Now, things have changed entirely, I have to say that, because in this congregation there may well be somebody working for um, His Majesty's Revenue Service. But back in the day, tax collectors were not popular people. They were disdained by their Jewish contemporaries because they worked for the Roman oppressors. They worked for the occupying power. But more than that, they had a reputation for not being entirely straight, for making a bit extra on the side. And hence the conventional pairing, tax collectors and sinners. Sinners referred to those people who had lives that meant that they couldn't keep all of those purity rules which the Pharisees thought were so important. They couldn't tithe. They couldn't make the right donations. They couldn't be pure. Now, this wasn't some sort of esoteric or marginal concern of the people of those days because when Jews looked back at their history... Many concluded that staying in a place of God's blessing meant that they had to keep God's rules. Now here's the first thing that we can learn from our gospel reading this morning. 
and the account of Matthew's call. It's the same thing that Jesus tells the Pharisees they should learn in verse 13. Go and learn, he says. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's a quote from the Old Testament, the prophet Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. God's abundant mercy, we sung about it this morning, God's abundant mercy characterizes his dealings with people. It characterizes his dealings with people now, with us, and it characterized his dealings with people back in the times of the Old Testament. To the Pharisee's sarcastic question to Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher, how could he possibly be a real teacher if he's telling you this? Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, there's a simple, powerful, and true response. Because God has mercy. After all, the ancient proverb is true. It's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. And so Jesus explains in the punchline to the whole episode that he has come not to call, sin, uh, not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' calling to Matthew is a snub to the idea of respectability. He is totally at home amongst the bunch of crooks who were Matthew's friends and colleagues. I wonder who might occupy the place of Matthew, a tax collector in contemporary society. Post office executives, perhaps. Politicians. It doesn't really matter who you or I think is the most despicable person because Jesus welcomes whoever it is. God's kingdom is a one-class society. It's for sinners because God's mercy is for everyone. Imagine looking through the window of Matthew's house that evening and seeing the eclectic mix of guests. It's a picture of the universal scope of Jesus's compassion. No one is excluded. All are called. And Jesus's call to Matthew was this, follow me. A picture has two dimensions, doesn't it? It has a horizontal dimension and a vertical dimension. And thinking in those terms, I think, is useful to considering the, uh, a call to follow Jesus. On the one hand, on the horizontal dimension, there's a sort of general call to discipleship. The other vertical dimension 
might be a, a, a likened to a specific call to each one of us. So when Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, he wasn't providing a map for the journey. He didn't give Matthew much of a clue at all about what might be entailed. But Matthew had heard about Jesus, his teaching and miracles, how the good news of God's kingdom was breaking in and changing lives, turning things upside down, putting things right. And so Matthew risked a profitable business for a life-changing experience of following Jesus. The Old Testament has a turn of phrase for uh, living life with God. It's this, walking in the ways of the Lord. It's another way of saying that one keeps God's commandments. Now, there are quite a lot of commandments, but Jesus, sum Jesus summarized them in just two instructions, to love God and to love our, uh, our neighbours as ourselves. After everything is said and done, the call to follow Jesus is to love. Love God and love others. So if we want to know what follow, following Jesus means for us, all we need to do is ask, ask God to show us how to love and who to love. The best way of loving, because that's foundational for what it means to follow God. But when we speak of calling, we quite often have a more specific area, a specific sense in mind. What is my calling? What is the particular thing that I should do with the life that God has given me? And we each respond to God's call in different ways, in particular ways that reflect who we are and the gifts which we have. So Christians can be found exercising nearly every vocation imaginable from artists through to zoologists. And some people have a, strength, a strong sense of God calling them to a particular task or profession in life. The Cistercian monk Thomas Merton argued that finding our calling isn't about, metaphorically, breaking into God's office, finding his file on us, and then seeing what it says to discover what is in store for us. That's fate, not a calling. Instead, we work out with God what our calling might be. And this doesn't have to be a once and for all discovery. It can change as we move through life and our circumstances alter. But the idea of vocation gives dignity and value, worth to all our lives. Individuals' vocations are as different as there are people. But one vocation is not better than another. That was one of the insights of the Reformation. It used to be an idea that there was a hierarchy of vocations. 
Uh, and since this hierarchy was written by priests, in fact, the very word hierarchy means the rule of priests, uh, the thought was that the priests sat at the top. But the Reformation rejected all of that teaching and said, no, everyone has a calling and a vocation, and all vocations are equal before God. Just as a, as a body has different parts, so we each have a mutual need for each other. That's an indispensable aspect of anyone's vocation. But that said, and said emphatically, and I hope clearly, I want to ask whether anyone here this morning might be called to church leadership. The vocation to ministry is a vocation to lead people in mission, to enable others in their love and service, to teach the Bible, to pastor. As I say that, does that excite your heart or pique your interest? If so, do pray that God would reveal himself to you. Above all, whatever your vocation, continue to love. There's another thing I'd like to say after mentioning that we all have, uh, Jesus' call is for everyone, and also that we are called to love and uh, generally and to a particular vocation. And that's to talk very briefly about the hope of our calling. When Matthew responded to Jesus' call, he invited his friends, other tax collectors and sinners, to celebrate. They had a dinner party. Matthew's banquet was a foretaste of the heavenly banquet to which we are all invited. The inclusion of everyone is the fulfillment of Jesus' mission. In verse 13, as we've read, he, he says, he came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Everyone's invited, including us. We are invited to God's banquet too. And that sounds like great news, good news. And it is good news. But, but, Responding to Jesus' call has consequences. No one can do everything. I was reading just yesterday that uh, uh, there was some executive who says, you can have it all. And then this article in the newspaper was saying, you can't, and referenced Michelle Obama. Apparently she said in her book, Becoming, you can't have it all, at least not all at the same time. And we know that because we are in this place at this time. We can't be everywhere all at once. And so that means that life involves choosing. Choosing one thing means not choosing another. And so it is with responding to Jesus' call. When Matthew rose up and followed Jesus, 
he probably stopped being a tax collector. That's a familiar pattern in the Bible. In fact, the, the, the description of Matthew's call in the Gospel of Matthew is very similar to the call of Elisha in 1 Kings chapter 19. But if he had stayed being a tax collector, it would have meant repaying the money he had extorted over the years and starting to be honest. That's what happened to Zacchaeus in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Choosing to follow Jesus has consequences. And the, our, responses, our responses are acts of obedience. The focus is not upon how we, we feel or upon our psychological dispositions, but upon the person who evokes the response, Jesus. So we fix our eyes upon Jesus, confident that he will shower us with his mercy and his grace. We sang about it earlier. Remember that song, hum it to yourselves, sing it out, as we said we would do in another one of our songs that we said, that we sang. Sing it out during the week that comes. Because following Jesus is not always easy or straightforward. George Herbert, a 17th century Anglican priest and poet, the Anglican Church quite likes old things, you may know that, captures this well in the poem, uh, in his poem, The Collar. Herbert imagines himself standing at the Lord's table, the table where we celebrate communion. And he calls this table the board. And this is one of the first lines in his poem. I struck the board and said, no more, I will abroad. He imagines himself and he carries on in ancient language describing himself, leaving his vocation, setting it aside, becoming free of the collar. But if we accept a calling, other possibilities have to be excluded. Summoned into the life of Christ, we will become fully human. But first, we will have to master our desires to settle for less. So with that thought in mind and conscious of our conscience conscious of our sense of vocation, as well as the enduring call of Jesus, which he made to Matthew and which he continues to ask us, follow me. Listen to Herbert's poem's final lines. But as I raved and grew more fierce and wild at every word, Methought I heard one calling, child, and I replied, my Lord. And Jesus said, follow me. Amen.